This is Privately Speaking with KPMG, and in this episode of the series, you'll hear KPMG audit partner and host Erica Whitmore and Rajiv Shukla, chairman and CEO of Constellation Alpha Holdings and partner at SPAC Research, discuss the current state of SPACs. Are they here to stay? Rajiv, uh, super excited to have you with us today. Um, I've been um, really itching to do kind of an update podcast, podcast, excuse me, on SPACs. And I think you're the perfect person to do it. Uh, your background is tremendous. So without further ado, if you could just give us a, a brief introduction of yourself, uh, that would be great. Thanks, Erica. That's very kind um, of you to say that. Um, my background is is in healthcare and investments. I've been a healthcare investor now for uh, nearly two decades, uh, doing healthcare investments in one form or the other. Got my big start at Pfizer, where I was uh, at the time of my leaving, running global M and A for the R and D division, uh, based in New London, Connecticut. Uh, and had been involved with about 65 billion in acquisitions during my time at Pfizer. Um, was very lucky to be uh, at a terrific company with some great mentors and uh, really benefited a lot from that experience. Uh, went on from there to private equity, um, where again I was focused on healthcare, uh, did, did private equity and also uh, ran a healthcare long short hedge fund at Morgan Stanley, London, um, and over the course of my investment career, ended up having over forty five investments, served on fourteen boards, um, you know, uh, had over sixty five billion in in M and A volume, um, so gained a lot of very useful experience put some of that experience to work um, in my first stint as CEO, where I was a, a public company CEO of, of a company that was not healthcare, it was in the engineering space. But my role there was to restructure the company, recap it and sell it, which I did. Then I was able to use that experience to create my first pack, which acquired a very interesting diagnostics company called Dermtech, based in San Diego. Dermtech is a pioneering company in the skin cancer space, although they are focused on other areas besides skin cancer as well. They're, they're getting into inflammatory skin disease as well. But they have a commercial product on the market which has reimbursement support from CMS, and they're able to detect uh, melanoma without requiring a biopsy. So it's a, it's a non-invasive genomic uh, test with a very high degree of sensitivity and specificity, saves the healthcare system a lot of money and saves patients from being cut. Then our second deal was uh, the world's first RMAT company, a company called Humicide. They were the first to receive uh, the Regenerative Medicine Advanced Therapy tag. Um, and this is another very interesting company that has massive potential with an extensive pipeline covering many, many areas. They've got uh, vascular products that can be used for dialysis. They've got um, uh, vascular products that can be used in neonatal cardiac issues where the, the transplant grows with the patient. They can also make lungs in the, in the lab so you can have a whole lung transplant eventually. 
they can make a biovascular pancrease so that if, if one has type 1 diabetes, you can basically cure that uh, through an outpatient implant. It's a very interesting company. And then I'm running my third SPAC currently, uh, which raised $154 million in July of last year. So uh, that, that's my background. I also have uh, a role as a partner in a company called SPAC Research, which is one of the leaders in the SPAC industry in terms of providing coverage of the industry from a data and analysis perspective. Awesome. So per perfect individual to speak on this topic. <laughs> um, so Rajiv, I think, um, you know, I think that the audience will be, have, you know, varying degrees of understanding of what's going on with SPACs currently. And so would really love your perspective, um, just given how active you are in the space on the SPAC market and, you know, really how's it going today? You know, I'm, I'm very data oriented kind of person and, and, um, my view often is that if you rely on media, you tend to get, you know, an exaggerated sense of what's really going on. So Fair if you were point. reading the, <laughs> if you were reading the press last year, impression one would get is that SPACs, you know, are taking over the world. Uh, and if you read the the press more recently in the last six months, you'd you'd get the sense that SPACs are no longer relevant. The interesting thing is if you look at the data. SPACs accounted for 61% of the U.S. IPO market last year, uh, which means that SPACs, you know, regular IPOs are in the minority and SPACs are really the, the mainstream way of going public, at least as of last year. Uh, by the way, in 2020 as well, there were 53% of all IPOs were SPACs. So if, if one went by the, the press, you'd think that that number has sharply collapsed from 61% down to you know, a much lower figure, whereas in reality, SPACs now account for 75% of the IPO market. And, and the reason for that is while SPACs are, um, have slowed down and the market is not as healthy as it was, the regular IPO market is in worse shape. And there are even fewer regular IPOs happening, which has led to SPACs increasing their share in the market uh, more so. so you know, that's just one data point, uh, IPOs. The other data point is uh, deals. So in terms of SPACs and, and how it breaks down, there are about 700 SPACs currently, about 100 announced deals and, and roughly 600 uh, SPACs that are looking for deals. You know, that, that points to two things. One, that you'll have a lot more deals in the next few months as those 600 SPACs have to get a deal done in the next two years but also that a lot of those SPACs will not succeed because there aren't enough high quality target companies for all SPACs to have a happy, happy landing. So I think you'll see, you'll see, uh, you know, a mix of, of both trends. You'll see a lot more deals as well as a lot more failures. That's so interesting. And, and one follow-up question to that, um, how are the SPACs performing compared to a traditional IPO? Yeah, so if you look at the IPO index, there's a, there's a company called Renaissance uh, uh, Capital that, that covers uh, the IPO market, and, and they have some great data that the NASDAQ also uses. You know, there's no question that uh, 
the um, regular way IPOs are underperforming. So I'm looking at the Renaissance uh, IPO index. They actually publish an IPO index that shows the S&P, you know, flattish over the last one year, up, up low teens, but shows the IPO index down 50% uh, over the last year. So uh, if you compare that with SPACs, you know, have SPACs broadly, are they broadly down 50% from their $10 price? Not quite. They're doing a little bit better than that. But, you know, averages don't tell the story. There are some SPACs that are doing a lot worse and some that are doing a lot better. But for the most part, you will see that SPACs are a, a path to going public. But once public, the same rules of gravity apply to all public companies. <laughs> right. right. So <laughs> if, if a newly uh, public company is being dragged down because of whatever macro issues there are, those will apply just the same to recent SPAC deals. And they may be magnified by um, the shareholder composition where you might have uh, more concentration or less concentration, more float, less float, um, micro cap, small cap, ball, you know, all of those factors come into play. But for the most part, companies that have gone public through a SPAC process or just regular way IPO are broadly exposed to the same trends. And, and once they've gone public, nobody remembers how they got there. Companies gone, yeah, how, how yeah. they've come there. So, sure. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So just in terms of next topic and diving a little bit deeper into the trends, um, what are your thoughts on the increasing level of SPAC redemptions? Yeah, so SPAC, you know, uh, again, a, a SPAC is the opposite structure of a uh, venture fund or a private equity fund, where if you're running a fund, you, you have commitments and then you call capital when you have a deal. In a SPAC, it's the reverse. You actually have the capital and the investors can call it back um, at the time of deal closing. So, you know, it, it, it gives you a sense of certainty around how much capital a SPAC might have, but some of that can be redeemed. And that's a very attractive feature of SPACs because it's very rare in the investment world to have a structure where you can get your money back. In private equity or VC, you, you have to pay your fees, annual fees, no matter what. And, you know, if you decide to ignore a capital call, you, you lose all your prior investments. So there are, there are punitive measures in place, but that doesn't happen with SPACs. So if you look at redemption trends and you look at last year uh, in January, between, you know, the start of the year up to, say, the middle of February, uh, right about this time last year, SPACs basically had zero redemptions, virtually no redemptions or any redemptions. But if you look at it this year, the redemption rate is very high. In some cases, pretty much all of the capital is being redeemed from some of these SPACs. In other cases, you, you are seeing deals with 1% or, or no redemption as well, but those are rare it's much more common to see 60, 70% of the capital being redeemed. And the reason for that, of course, is that 
fewer people want to be long in this market. You want to reduce risk. You want to take capital off the table. And the reason why investors have to wait till redemption is that the SPAC price might be below 10. So simply by waiting until redemption, they'll get their capital back along with a few pennies of interest. So it's perfectly reasonable for you know, investors to behave the way they are. It, it's completely rational behavior. I believe that once the market begins to look healthier and people want to have exposure to risk and they want to have uh, skin in the game, then again, we'll see uh, SPACs tend to do better as, as it's a risk-on environment. But right now, with the specter of you know, high inflation rates, global wars, pandemic, stuff like this, quite understandable that investors are, are being cautious and taking their chips off the table. That makes sense. So, so you think that it's really more market-driven versus necessarily a change in the SPAC market? Yeah, and I I don't I think the I think the structure is less a driver of behavior as opposed to the fundamentals. I think the market fundamentals mm-hmm. and the the flow of capital explains yeah. more things than uh, than a structure because this the structure hasn't changed. SPACs are still structured the same they were right. last year when we weren't seeing redemptions. So it's perfectly understandable. I mean, why are we seeing so few IPOs regular way? It's right. because investors simply don't have an appetite to invest. Right. Not right now. Maybe going back to a, a point that you had earlier in terms of the number of SPACs that are you know, really looking for a target company. Um, a lot of our audience, Rajiv, is, as we've talked about, um, would be those potential target companies either today or or sometime in the future right if they're a high growth company and and I have to believe that some of what they're they're considering right is well what does what does that company look like right what is a spac looking for and and maybe you can share you know what you think the top 3 things are that spacs are looking for in a in a target company sure look i think there are lots of unique um things that different SPAC sponsors look for, which is often a reflection of our own experience and what has worked well for us in the past and our own approach to life and, and so on. Uh, so, for example, I really like, I stay away from binary bet type plays and I, I like investing in platform companies with multiple shots on goal where there is some degree of proof of concept. Um, Whereas there might be other investors who are perfectly willing to invest in single product companies that have just one, you know, one product that's in the clinic. And if that works, then it's a huge win. If it doesn't work, then it goes to zero. There, there might be folks who don't like gene therapy, others who love gene therapy. And, you, you know, one might have a preference for CAR T over TCR. And so putting all of that aside, uh, there are some there are some broad elements that uh, I think SPAC sponsors care about. One is, you know, we're, we're certainly looking at companies that are ready to undergo diligence. And there is often this narrative that SPACs are a fast track to the public markets. They're a shortcut. Uh, if you look at the process, there is no way to shortcut the process. You have to go through the same process 
you know, broadly, the only difference is certainty. So in the case of a, in the case of a SPAC process, uh, a private company might have more certainty on the capital, uh, particularly if they have a meaningful pipe and they've, you know, at the time of deal announcement, you know, they've, they've got a fair sense of what the, what the bare minimum is going to be and, and then what it could be uh, on the upside if, if they have low redemptions. So in that sense, you get that um, visibility sooner as a private company. And then you can do all the paperwork subsequently. But overall, the time the timelines are roughly the same. It's only a difference of the sequencing. In a regular IPO, you have to go through huge amounts of documentation with no no sense of whether you're going to get the IPO done or not, and how the markets might even look like by the time your S1 has been declared effective. The most important, I think, value of a SPAC is that a SPAC allows for a lot deeper engagement and deeper diligence by investors in these private companies. And I've been, you know, I've been a private uh, investor myself. I've been a hedge fund guy too. The single biggest driver of investor confidence is diligence. If I can do more diligence, I'm going to be more confident in terms of what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, in a, in a regular IPO, you might have, um, three days or five days of roadshows. You know, you might have um, six to eight hours of meetings a day. They might be structured as 45 minute sessions with some breaks uh, in between, but you don't really get much time to talk to investors and they don't get much time to ask you questions. They have to basically rely on the public prospectus. However, in a, in a SPAC, the investors can ask you many questions. They can have multiple rounds of discussions with you. They get access to a data room as well. That data room is subsequently cleansed by a proxy filing. But, you know, the investor has potentially several weeks of time to review the, your data. So you have to be ready as a company to be solid, you know, uh, in terms of diligence. The second thing is you must have um, a good set of books for for a deal to go through, uh, not to be announced, but to be voted upon and, and for the deal to close, you have to file PCAOB audited financials for two years, sometimes three years. This is not very difficult for biotech companies. You know, it's not very onerous, but that's a box that needs to be checked. And it, there are sometimes we see that companies are not ready with with these financials and that might delay the proxy process. But that's a very important thing that you must have. And the third is you must have, you know, a group of people around the company, if not the management themselves, who are very public market savvy. So whether it's the management, whether it's the board members, your investors, it really helps to see people who have had prior public market experience because what happens is a lot of these innovative companies, they're you know absolutely on the cutting edge of science, and they're they're doing stuff that you know even uh, leading academics would find you know hard to follow. And they live in a world where they spend all of their time talking to these ultra uh, smart, cutting edge uh, scientists. When you have to get out of that and talk to regular folk who might be you know, responsible for investing, 
you have to be able to convey your your business strategy what your events are likely to be why what you're doing uh, you know is impactful in simple english you you should be investor friendly you have to be patient in terms of talking to to folks and repeating your story repeatedly so if you're you know coming from a academic background or you might you know like doing the science then we would encourage you to hire folks in in your ir function or have a cfo who is adept at speaking with with public market investors and those are very important uh, factors but the besides these you know you have your usual investment logic type uh, factors right you want to make sure that the company is valued properly you don't want to see a company have a massive jump in valuation between rounds you want to be aware of companies that have not raised money from institutional investors before and it's all family office or friends and family type money and typically those companies tend to not be well received by the public markets so we want to see evidence that other smart people before us have bet on this company spacs are not ideally suited as a series a or series b type structure spacs are really meant for companies that are public market ready that that makes a lot of sense rajiv and and i think you know one of the things you said at the beginning of that response was really you know they have to follow the same rules right as as other public companies and then you were really speaking to my heart <laughs> on the audited financial statements um that's just again a requirement right so so really really important important things maybe to bring us home um rajiv um what do you think uh the future holds for spacs and the private companies considering being acquired by a spac well i think i i think you know with 600 spacs looking for deals out there clearly we'll have some very interesting deals that will come to market we'll see some we'll see some exciting assets uh, come through but also i think we'll see lots of spacs not uh, cross the finish line uh, you know with flying colors so i think we'll we'll see a mix of of interesting assets as well as some uh, some failures i'm quite happy to see some uh, darwinian evolution at work darwinian evolution is great for making closed end systems evolve over time i would i would certainly i would certainly like to see that happen over time what's going to happen is there will be some spac sponsors who will who will survive and who will be viewed as as being um solid and reliable and others who will be viewed as tourists who come in and gone so i think i think that's what i would expect to see if these 600 spacs even each try to raise a 100 million dollar pipe you know think about that number that's 60 billion dollars of pipe capital so i i'm not sure whether there is enough pipe support for all of these uh, players whether there are enough quality targets out there the interesting thing that i i do note is that if you look at the structure of the ipo market the tech uh, sector and the healthcare sector biotech principally account for roughly 80% of the ipo market in terms of number of filings and broadly in terms of dollars as well however tech and healthcare particularly healthcare biotech does not account for the same proportion in spacs so 
biotech is a little underrepresented in SPACs because it's it's quite hard to do uh, biotech investing if you don't know the sector. Whereas if you're a generalist, you know, you could do consumer, you could do uh, tech, you could do whatever, finance and fintech and things like that. So there's, there is certainly a very interesting dynamic here where there are a lot of SPACs out there, but proportionally, uh, just to just to make that even more uh, more crystalline, if you look at the the biotech SPACs that are in the market currently, and you say how many of the SPAC sponsors who are currently in the market have done three SPACs or more, I think I think the answer is there's this two right now in the market. There's us and Perceptive. That's it. So. Um, you know, some of these broad numbers tend to uh, obscure what's really going on. But if you're a if you're a biotech company and you you want to go do a SPAC transaction and you're absolutely insistent on working with only the the most experienced teams, there aren't too many options uh, in the market currently. There. Got it. That's fair. Well, Rajiv, this has been outstanding. I, your knowledge in this space and just your experience and your background is is tremendous. And I, I really hope um, that our audience enjoys it. I, I know I sure did. So thank you very much for your time. And any, any parting words before we wrap up here? I'd just be wary of, you know, any claims around both the positives and negatives where folks might say that, SPACs, uh, you know, confer some advantages over IPOs in terms of diligence, you know, or lack thereof or speed to market. It's it's absolutely not correct. There's actually more diligence and the timeline is broadly the same. The accounting standards are also exactly the same for, for companies going public. Uh, or the the dooms there's and, and, you know, folks who are bemoaning that, things are really bad the reality you know often is in the middle it's a it's a market where one must very carefully select whom you're working with and and focus on the details as opposed to list, you know doing things mac- macro kind of strategies work great when you're at extremes when things are going really great you can afford to be approximate and not be precise or if things are going really bad then again, you can afford to be approximate and not precise. <laughs> but when you're in the middle, you have to get the details right. So yes, I, I would leave our, our listeners with that uh, word of caution and say, focus on the details. Well, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me on, Erica. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to this episode of Privately Speaking. And be sure to subscribe to the series to be notified of new episodes.